Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're changing the channel to all the seasonal television we enjoy in the fall, including, and I'm very excited about this, Hallmark's Fall Harvest and our favorite Halloween specials of all time. But before we dive in, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this week. Jillian, what's making you feel cozy? Well, of course... Netflix's Father of the Bride reunion. They kind of dropped this one on us pretty unexpectedly. I thought it was going to be announcement of a third movie. So this is called Father of the Bride Part 3-ish. And it was, <laughs> yeah, it's basically a reunion just to raise money for World Central Kitchen. So like a lot of TV shows lately have been doing these get-togethers, these Zoom reunions to raise money. And so it was not necessarily what I wanted, but it did give me some coziness for the flashbacks. So before I get into that, the premise of it is Maddie is all grown up and that's Kieran Culkin, I believe. And so he played Maddie in the first two installments and now obviously he's all grown up. So he is going to marry his partner over Zoom, but he wants to surprise her and they're separated because she works in a hospital. Oh. And so they, of course, yeah. So of course they- Very timely. Yes. And that's the one thing. It's a little bit hokey. Mm. I know, obviously, it's nice to give a shout out to those who are working in hospitals, but it's very like a little bit heavy handed. You know what I mean? So she's staying in a a hotel that the hospital put her up in. And so they obviously can't have their wedding like they had planned. So Maddie wants to surprise her over Zoom, which I personally wouldn't enjoy (laughs) if I wasn't. (laughs) You know, hey, like, I'm just going to throw this wedding on you when you're holed up in a hotel room after like you're 14 hour shift or whatever it is. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like a nightmare, actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty nightmarish. George is on the call, of course. Nina, Annie, Annie's husband pops in. And then also Annie's son, all grown up. And then George and Nina's daughter, all grown up. And playing the son is Ben Platt. And then playing the daughter is Florence Pugh. And, you know, they, I don't know how I felt about that casting. That's neither here nor there. And then Robert De Niro is. Maddie's partner's dad and the partner's mom is dead. I, that's what I gathered from that. So she's not on there. So they have all this chatter before Rachel, the partner of Maddie comes on the zoom call. And so it's just harking back to old jokes. Uh, Franck appears. And what I loved about it was the flashbacks to old scenes and they show the progression of, you know, Maddie growing up. And that was really tugged on my heartstrings just to see like Kieran Culkin just as a little kid again. And so they have that iconic scene where he's moving all the cars in the yard. I don't know if you remember that scene where he has to, they don't have enough people to move the cars. So Maddie gets behind the wheel. Oh no, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. It's a super cute scene. So I think that's what was cozy for me. So it's not the content, necessarily but just all the flashbacks and the old jokes and seeing the old faces again i think that's true for many of these reunion specials it's not the writing that you're you're loving because it's it's, it's, it's hard to get that going yeah and it's also kind of sad to see people aged i'm gonna be honest um but it was cozy in the sense where i got to see the old gang back together again and i got to see those favorite clips of the the movies that i appreciated that's interesting at first i thought 
when I read Father of the Bride reunion, I thought it was going to be like a cast reunion. So mm-hmm. I'm actually more intrigued that it's a story continuation. That sounds actually more interesting to me than like the actors just talking about their memories. Yeah, no, I, I think that was cute. Um, obviously, I would have loved to have seen Maddie get married in a third movie. And I think that's probably what's disappointing for most fans. But like I said, just doing those flashbacks and incorporating into the conversations of like, hey, remember when this happened at the wedding? Remember when this happened? And they actually showed those flashbacks and had the music, the iconic music playing. So that was super cozy in the sense where it was, it, you know, it was a little treat to go back to that movie. And it's better that it's in a montage because, to be quite frank, the plot doesn't really hold up. When you go back and watch this movie, it, there's a lot of cringiness in, in the terms of like, wow, this is really dated. Like this dad's going berserk over his daughter getting married. It's a little, yeah, <laughs> it's not the best. When I rewatched it recently, I'm like, oh, <laughs> but it, it's the scenes. I mean, just the the set. The set is so cozy and the, the music and that beautiful house. Ugh, I love that house. So I think that's probably for the best. Maybe they didn't do a third installment. Well, they could always retcon it, and maybe it's just the father's terrible nightmare, and they're going to have a real wedding. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Or maybe it's his dream, so he doesn't have to plan it (laughs) or be part of the planning (laughs) process. Yeah, I think they can work it into an actual third. And since they did three-ish, it kind of makes me think that perhaps they are planning on doing a third, but we'll see. My pick is also Netflix. This Not sponsored, by the way. (laughs) I (laughs) wish. has given us no money. It's... My Octopus Teacher, and I will fully admit, I hate that title. And it turned me off so much that every time, because Netflix has really been shoving it in my face every time I log in. It's like, My Octopus Teacher. Mm-hmm. It's like the first thing you see. I don't know what about it was like, I can't watch this. That seems so silly. I don't, I'm not interested in Netflix. No, thank you. But there was a day like last week that I was just like in a bad mood and I, I turned on Netflix and I couldn't find anything I wanted to watch. And I just needed to put something on that was soothing. And so I just was like, okay, fine. I'll watch my octopus teacher. All right. (laughs) Let's see what this is all about. And it's actually really cozy. It's a documentary about a man's bond with a common octopus living in a kelp forest in South Africa's Cape of Storms. Oh. So every day, this guy, his name is Craig Foster. He's a very soothing voice, which is partially why it's cozy. He swims with and films the octopus and essentially creates like a year in the life of this common octopus. And so you learn a lot about how this octopus lives. And because it's basically a daily journal of everything it's doing every day. There are some tense moments with pajama sharks. Oh. The predator of the octopus. You have to admit that is a very cozy name for a predator. Yes, it is. You know, if you're going to have um, something that might kill your star, you might as well call them pajama sharks. <laughs> <laughs> It's really just a human-centric way of doing a nature documentary. Like, it is a documentary about an octopus with a guy in it who's kind of like the framing device of, you know, learning about his own human relationships and learning about nature through this daily check-in with his octopus teacher. Yeah, (laughs) I don't... I think it's an odd way to frame it because it doesn't seem to match with the actual scenario that's going on. Like, I kind of... I can... You have to think about it. I just like the simple check-in of, of every day this person's going to this octopus. And I, I kind of wish they had picked a different title because it sounds so hokey. I feel like it detracts from what it's actually doing. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not going to cl- sit here and claim it's an amazing documentary. Like, 
but I will say it's incredibly cozy. And just the, for me, the shots of the Cape of Storms in particular, it's this roiling rocky cliff shore and it's just beautiful and powerful. And all this underwater footage, it just sort of takes you away into this other world. And so if you just sort of need something to watch to cool off or calm down and just sort of exist in this natural environment, it's actually a really great choice. So I would recommend it if you just want to get away into into nature from your living room, <laughs> uh, check out My Octopus Teacher. That sounds lovely. And I, I love underwater explorations. I think anything that's underwater and following creatures is pretty co- cozy in itself. So I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the octopus itself is a star. I mean, it was just it was born to be filmed. Uh, <laughs> is he still the, alive? I'm not going to spoil it. Okay. There, that, 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 <laughs> you have to watch for yourself to find out the fate of the octopus. But um, okay, the octopus does some zany stuff, playful. Like it's really has like the intelligence of like a cat, basically. So it's a pretty smart cephalopod. So check it out. That's a good recommendation. I, it took me by surprise. I really had no intention of watching this documentary, but here I it am. It reeled you in. Yep. I was the catch of the day for my <laughs> octopus teacher. Switching gears to more autumnal television that will really get you in the mood uh, for autumn. I, you have to be in the mood by now, right? If you're listening to the show, we, this is the third episode in a row. Yep. We're really milking fall. <laughs> we really are. Like, <laughs> If you're following our advice, like you should be neck deep in fall. So... Um, now we're just going to completely cover you up with it. Um, so, <laughs> and we're not done after this. We really aren't. I'm so excited about today's topic because it's kind of twofold here. So we're going to dive into the topic of fall television in sort of two different ways. The first is really exploring Hallmark's fall harvest, which despite my um, obsession with this, I'm kind of surprised to say that after three years of doing this podcast, we've never touched on it. So we're going to dive into that today. And then there's also us discussing the classics that we return to every autumn to get uh, in the spirit. So we're going to share those with you. But first, again, I'm, I, I'm really excited to talk about this. We're going to dive into fall, fall marks. <laughs> fall marks. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't we, messed that up before. We can make our own channel. Yeah, the fall mark. Actually, <laughs> I'm on board with this. Hallmark's Fall Harvest. You may be familiar with Hallmark's prodigious Christmas movie fair. So last year, they released 40 new Christmas movies, these are original films. So Hallmark's pumping out these Christmas movies like there's no tomorrow. I mean, it really is their business model, so it makes sense. But there is a red-leafed stepchild in the family, and that's Hallmark's Fall Harvest. Since 2015, Hallmark has been releasing original movies with one unifying theme, and this is the only thing that they have in common. (laughs) They're set in fall. (laughs) And I, I find this to be such a fascinating approach because... Holiday movies are about the holiday. You know what I mean? So when you're watching a a Christmas Hallmark movie, you're diving into the Christmas spirit and generosity and giving and all those themes that come with the holiday. But Fall Harvest has nothing to do with any specific holiday. I mean, they stay away from Halloween like it's cursed. All right. So there's nothing to do with Halloween specifically, which is really, I think, one of the major problems with the, the Fall Harvest because... All they really focus on is this idea of it's autumn. Apples, pumpkins. How do you make a movie out of that? It's interesting that they, in some cases, and so now we've had five years of this, they're actually 
are some successful examples of movies that like the plot is like not the thing you're watching it for. It is the setting. I just think that approach is extremely novel and strange. And I have a term for it and it's called season porn, (laughs) (laughs) which is that you're really only watching these to take in the elements of the season. No one's watching these for another cliche rom-com plot. That's not why I watch them. I watch them to see leaves and pumpkins and it's just kind of a, a unique media because, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, why don't I just turn on, like, nature cam footage of a forest preserve? Like, which is, I mean, in a way, this is not that different from that. But they do have plots. In terms of this 2020 crop of fall harvest films, we have five, which is better than last year. 2019 was a dark year for fall harvest. We only had three movies last Ooh. year. I thought it was going to be dead. I was like, okay, they're trying to kill it. You know how people complain, like, every year Christmas gets earlier. I, I'm not on, you know, whatever. I, I don't care. But the thing, <laughs> I'm, not on, I'm not on board with that necessarily. But it is kind of intense how early Hallmark starts their Christmas movies. They start it in mid-October. So, like, their countdown to Christmas is starting October 23rd. And Oof. so they just are wrapping up the, the Fall Harvest movies as quick, quick as they can. So I'm just grateful that we have a couple more than last year. The new movies this year are Follow Me to Daisy Hills, Falling for Look Lodge, Country at Heart, My Best Friend's Bouquet. (laughs) (laughs) That one cracks me up. Sweet Autumn is is the fifth one. As you can tell, I am obsessed with Hallmark Fall Harvest. I think it's just a really interesting genre that they're pioneering the genre. There's no other, no one else is just doing a movie, making a movie because it is set in fall. Like, set. Setting first television is just sort of like a whole new thing. Yeah, we tried to look at Lifetime. I thought maybe Netflix would get on the trend. And I searched high and low and I could not find another fall, just specifically fall movie for another network. So it's true that they're the only ones doing it. You have to give Hallmark credit where it's due. They are pioneering this territory. There's no one else doing this work. As you can tell, I could go on and on and on. So to prevent me from doing that, we're going to dive into one (laughs) specific um, Hallmark fall harvest movie from this year to kind of explore it. We're going to really dive into the second movie of the new series, which is Falling for Look Lodge. And before we do that, I do want to set up some criteria for what I'm looking for in a Fall Harvest film to feel like it's successful. So obviously, the first criteria is that it's set in fall. More so, I want every scene to remind me of that. And Hallmark gets this with their Christmas movies. There's not a scene that isn't decorated. There's not a scene that isn't snow or chili, or there's a Christmas decoration in the background, or, or an evergreen tree. It's in your face. Somehow they have not learned this about their Fall Harvest movies, and you still get Fall Harvest movies that, despite being set in autumn, have no visual <laughs> indication that it is. Most of these films are shot in Canada in the summer. So, you know, it's, it's not um, easy all the time to get those shots, and they do have some creative ways of doing that, which I'll get into later. Setting in fall and really being in your face is one important criteria for me. The second is that the plot directly ties into the season. So I want a fall harvest movie where they're doing autumnal activities and it means something to the plot. Um, But of course, the main reason is I really just want to see the mise-en-scene of autumn in these movies. And so that's my primary criteria when judging them. So with that all set forward, Jillian and I both watched Falling for Look Lodge. It's about um, a hotel worker named Lily who dreams of being a hotel event coordinator. Everyone has these dreams in these Hallmark movies of being these like really narrow, 
things that like, okay, I think you could do that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how crowded the hotel event coordinator field is. Maybe I'm wrong, but Lily, I think it's very attainable. So she dreams of being a hotel event coordinator and is thrilled when she's given the chance to do so by helping Noah, who's a hotel guest, uh, finish planning his sister Justine's wedding. So they're all at this look lodge. It's a remote lodge. Um, these, by the way, Lily is played by Clark Bacco and Noah is played by Jonathan Keltz. And it's a rom, it's a rom-com, you know, they, you, you can see the whole plot unfolding before you, like within the first 10 minutes of the movie, you know exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, they, there are adversaries and then they're not yada, yada, yada. There's no point in me going into the plot. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen one Hallmark movie, you've seen them all. Uh, it's, it's the same sort of like. You know, they're at each other's throats and then they like learn to like each other and then, you know, they they're become in a love. couple. Then they're in love, you know. End of story. It, this is no different. What is interesting to me is that the hotel owner is Lily's sister. <laughs> yeah. And so there's, there's this really interesting tension between them where she doesn't want to give her promotion and she's really hard on her. And so it's, it's, you know, on the one hand, you're like, okay, great. She's really resisting nepotism. But on the other hand, it's like, wow, this is your sister. You're, you're, not, really, you're not really good to her. Well, I guess she gave her, didn't she give her a job when Lily lost, lost her? She got laid off from some company. Yeah. And what's also I found strange about it is that the employees live in this beautiful guest house together. Yeah, they're bunking up. Yeah, they're, bu- they're bunking up. That's, that was interesting to me. Um, and also, she wants to be the hotel event coordinator, but doesn't she also have an even bigger aspiration of running her own events or camp for kids so it's like a dream upon a dream they just love to (laughs) chase dreams in hallmark all sorts of event coordination yeah Um, she wants to be involved in all of it another wrinkle that i think is important to mention in this story is that so the woman who's getting married justine in terms of this like whole week lead up to her wedding it's just her in-laws and her fiance with her so it's just them and her brother their parents are dead so they're not in the picture at all and so there's a lot of pressure placed on this noah guy to fill in all these roles from the extended from her part of the family and he's you know everyone every you know bad guy that needs to just see that you need to focus on the family and stop working is like always a work obsessed or if it's, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's the woman, but there's always one of them that's too into work and needs to learn to chill out. And it's Noah in this case, he's always trying to work instead of doing all this stuff for his sister's wedding. But what I thought was so funny about this movie is that who plans a wedding the week of the wedding? It just, it just seemed nutty to me. I didn't understand it. Like they're literally planning the, the events leading up to it. Um, there's, it doesn't seem to be any wedding party. There's no bridesmaid. There's nothing. It's just the in-laws and the bride. And so the, the structure of it just seemed so alien because I don't know that anyone's ever approached a wedding this way. Well, what was also strange is that the, the, the piece of it was that apparently the role, of the, the, the role that Lily's filling was taken on by someone else, the event coordinator. And they don't want to say, I guess, that that guy just quit and they're on bad terms with him. So all the wedding planning that he did for Justine is out the window. And they tell Justine that, oh, we had a computer glitch. So we can't find all of the the planning that you did for this week. 
I would have been furious. <laughs> just Absolutely. Show, show also, she would, she, she would have been so involved in that process that she knew exactly yeah. what the plan was anyway. You don't forget about your wedding planner as if like, oh, the person I was working with for the last year just disappeared. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also the strange was, I think Justine also assumed that her brother was working directly with the wedding planner and that's odd in itself like why do you need your brother to be so involved in planning your wedding and that leads me to the other point is that i think there's more chemistry between noah and justine than there is with um his actual love interest that's a little dark (laughs) i really did feel that way there was just like there was so much more investment in their relationship as siblings i felt than the actual romance but that's just neither here nor there but i mean and also lily's just crossing all sorts of boundaries where she's like in the guest bedrooms like planning and she's like writing speeches for noah like it's way overboard um she does get in trouble for all of that quite reasonably it the plot is just insane there's also one more thing. There's a little girl who Boy. is she from another marriage? That's what I gathered. Um, because having a dead person in your background is a character trait, I guess, in Hallmark. So yes, absolutely. Um, I assume that that was Justine's husband to be's daughter, who is very hard to gauge her age because she looks like she's about twelve. She talks and acts like she's five. I couldn't say it better. It was this eerie thing where you get the sense that Hallmark writers, this this has happened in more than one movie. Please meet a child. When you are writing a child of a certain age, go ahead and talk to one of that age. You can get a sense of how they talk. Yeah, it's so weird. This is, she was way too old to be talking like that. And also the way the characters talk to her. Frankly, if I were like 10 and somebody was talking like that to me, I'm like, why are you patronizing me? Do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> yeah, she had a very sing-songy voice and she was always cheery, which is also not true for children. They're just like adults where they go through moods and they are irritated or tired at a certain point. But she was just there to be, you know, the cute kid in every every scene. She carries a camera wherever she goes. She's always taking pictures she she pops up the most random times and just felt like i don't think she need to she need to be there i think it would have been fine if he just yeah it just seemed bizarre to me but i guess you also have to have a kid in the these movies to make it family more family friendly but i I think it was their way of making noah seem redeemable because he's so sweet to his niece but she just took me out of it because the whole time she's like Uncle Noah, do I take the picture right? And it's <laughs> no, like so weird. What? It made me cringe. I texted uh, Matt about this. I was like, I, I don't know if we're going to save it for the, the episode, but I just cannot stand this little girl. It's no offense to the actress, but whoo. she reminded me of that. What is that horror movie where there uh, somebody, a couple adopts a little girl and it turns out she's like a 40 year old woman. Oh, that, that, yeah. Well, that's what it felt like where it's like, She's just laying it on so thick. Very like, complex case. <laughs> I'm a widow photographer. And you look at her, you're like, aren't you like 14? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, she was, she was almost like she's in a, like a depression medication commercial where they're just like, always like, so they're not, they're happy now. And they're always talking happily. It's like, no, she can, she can have a bad day. She can have a bad moment. <laughs> there's, there's like a horror sequel to Falling for Look Lodge where, this girl murders everybody. I just think it's it's totally reasonable to, yeah. to follow that up with a horror movie. So anyways, there's that. 
but the thing is, and, and this is my relationship with Hallmark movies, that I, I just feel like it's a complex relationship where I can see all these flaws, but I still love them because yeah. they are extremely cozy. And I will say, despite these, or maybe even because the story and the characters are just so uncanny and just sort of like off kilter of like what we would expect normal human behavior to look like. I think actually this one is one of my favorites because it's fascinating to watch. It doesn't, I never lost my attention because the whole time I'm watching it thinking like, why is anyone behaving like this? It's like, it's just a sort of a fascinating, there's almost something like Lynchian about (laughs) these Hallmark movies where you're like, this, is this art? (laughs) Well, I love the scenery. I mean that I thought, I thought it was gorgeous from start to finish. They actually had the fall leaves, you know, the, the change in seasons was visible. It did feel a little remote, um, for my for my liking and the lodge wasn't necessarily a lodge or what i pictured yeah. to be a lodge it was this gray mansion of sorts but i thought the hotel was decorated beautifully plenty of pumpkins they had this little hotel bar and there's always like lit with candles and what have you and you can well, obviously get into the activities that they do but i thought that they captured the season well yeah, and that's why I feel like primarily this was actually a very successful Fall Harvest movie. And I think it has the distinction of being one of the very few that was actually filmed in autumn. There are real dead leaves in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you can see it all over the, the decorations and the scenery. You never lose sight of the fact that it is fall. And so for me, this is like an A-plus Fall Harvest movie. I highly recommend it for the season porn aspect of it. Because it is delivering fall feelings all over the place again no matter how many like weird issues i have with the way the characters behave or the way that the plot unfolds it was successfully cozy because it did a great job of leaning into the reason it's made which is that it's set in the fall and it never lets you forget it yeah the the activities were super cozy too they went to an apple orchard they went on a hike and they saw the overlook on mountain of all the the leaves changing. They also made a pie, I believe. There's a scene where they're making a pie. And there's also this little cringy scene, in my opinion, where they were roasting marshmallows and are making s'mores. But have you ever eaten a s'more and feel so uncomfortable because it's so messy? So I imagine you could tell these actors kind of felt a little uncomfortable because like there's this montage where they're laughing and playing with s'mores and like watching each other eat the s'mores. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was a trip. <laughs> yeah, because I can imagine being an actor. It's like, hey, guys, we're going to film you for 30 minutes laughing and eating s'mores. I'd be so anxious. Time to get sticky. <laughs> so as of this recording, there are two more installments of this season's like lineup. There's My Best Friend's Bouquet, which will have aired yesterday when this, when this episode comes out. I just we're recording on Sunday the, uh, the 4th. So I just watched Country at Heart last night. And I, and, I, and I bring that up because Country at Heart, to me, is an example of what a terrible Fall Harvest movie is. And it's actually no commentary on even the film itself. But aside from this fall concert they're putting on, there's, no, there's nothing autumnal about it. You know, it could have been set in any season. You could have just, you know, changed the scenery to Christmas. You have the same movie. And that is not what Fall Harvest movies are for. So I give a big fat F to Country at Heart. I think, I think Hallmark still doesn't quite get it. That they, they, they're, they're in this pioneering territory, but they still don't quite understand the appeal or why somebody would tune into these movies. 
And so I do have some tips for Hallmark moving forwards, moving on from just talking about Look Lodge into how can Hallmark improve these films? Here's my list. If anyone's listening to Hallmark, please take this advice. Going forward, I would say, think about this. If Christmas movies are such a huge thing for Hallmark and they kind of feel stuck in the, they don't want to take any risks because that's really why most of their audience watches the channel. I would urge them to take some risks with these fall harvest movies because it's safer to. So I don't know why they aren't using this opportunity to taking some risks with storytelling and character to expand their audience. Because I think the people who would tune into a fall harvest movie are a little different than the people who would tune into a Christmas movie. Why not have a more diverse array of characters in these movies? And then also, why not have a different type of plot? Why not go off the beaten path? They don't all have to be romantic comedies, okay? They mm-hmm. don't all have to be that. Do a different story. Hallmark is a greeting card corporation. They don't just sell love letters or love cards or wedding cards. They also sell sympathy cards. They also sell birthday cards. Like, <laughs> there's other brand territory for these movies. Like, go into other elements of human emotion in life <laughs> than the falling in love piece. I don't understand why they're so stuck on it all the time. And that goes into the other thing I feel like they could improve on, which is theme. To me, autumn is really addressing, and, and, and Halloween in particular, but, but autumn generally, is when we really can reflect on endings and these, this idea of renewal. Like, it doesn't have to be sad. It, talking about death or, like, you know, exploring those things, I think it can still be cozy. You know what I mean? Well, I would love, like, a First Wives Club kind of style, a little a group of older ladies going on a fall retreat. Jillian, you've already written the best. Like, that, that <laughs> slug line for a fall harvest movie, I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah, you know I would love I mean? to do something like that. That'd be catnip for me. Right. Like, you know, think about like people in the autumn of their lives, like what, like maybe they're like looking for ways to um, have a new beginning and, and, and maybe the way they've always run their life and start a new thing, like, uh, you know, try to make a new business. They don't have to fall in love all the time, or maybe they do, but it doesn't always have to be generic looking white 20 something people doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's a a good point because all these love stories feel really hokey and forced because I didn't feel much chemistry between the two leads and the falling for look lodge. There's also the title. I kept on tripping up like falling for lookout. It's like saying, came in big, do it now. I, 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 I'm right with you. Like it is, it is definitely a title to trip over. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, there's just so many ways to reinvent it. And fall has so many different interpretations and meanings as we've covered in our past two episodes. It could be super festive or it could be more leaning towards, like you said, renewal and rebirth and starting fresh. So I think they have a blank canvas to work with and hopefully going forward, they do. Exactly. I mean, I, I imagine a fall harvest movie about a family that owns like a pumpkin patch and the matriarch um, has, you know, before the start of the movie, so we're not super sad about it, has passed away. And, you know, it's turned over to, like, the, the younger generation. And they're just trying to figure out how to run a pumpkin patch. I don't know. Something like that. Like, there's, like, anywhere yeah. else you can go with this that doesn't involve, like, just the same rom-com over and over and over again. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how there's, it doesn't, it can be, it can still be cozy, guys. You, you don't, it does not have to be this way. Well, you know, they got plenty of ideas from us, so. Yeah. All right. That's enough free ideas for homework for me. Yeah. I'm heated. I'm sweating. I'm super. Pa- I, I, I'm, it's very hot I, here, too, by I, the way. I, I will never not be fascinated 
by Fall Harvest. I can't wait for next year. I can't wait for the final two uh, Fall Harvest movies coming out uh, for the and, and you know before they start diving to the Christmas stuff again, like in October twenty fourth. Whatever. It's still autumn in October, by the way. Hallmark. <laughs> you could wait until November, but I digress. We're focused here on continuing the fall vibes through our television choices. And so now we're going to change the channel to the classics that we like to come back to year after year to get into the fall spirit. So, Jillian, I've like monologued nonstop already about fall harvest. So let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over to you to talk about your choices, one of which is I'm, I'm really excited to dive into uh, the Halloween tree uh, television movie special. Can you tell us about the Halloween tree? Yeah, I probably watched it as a kid, but I don't remember it. So I wanted to do a rewatch and it premiered on ABC in 1993. And apparently it runs on Cartoon Network quite often during October. So you can perhaps catch it there. But if not, I rent, you can go to YouTube where I rented it and there's plenty of other places to rent it. The Halloween tree is based on a book by Ray Bradbury. And he narrates the special, which is super cozy because he has the wonderful soothing voice and the writing is incredible and actually makes me think that we're cheating kids today because I have I I can't think of a recent Halloween special that has that type of beautiful and intelligent narration that that this special does so I think that it speaks to another time we I think we gave kids more credit back in the day and by back in the day 1993 when I was four so um but this special won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing for an Animated Special, which just once again speaks to how well the narration is written. So the special follows a group of kids who are on a mission to save their friend Joe Pip Pippin. And he's the leader of the group. He's like the big shot of the group and who they're all all about. It takes place in a small Midwestern town. The other friends are Ralph, Tom, Jenny, and which is What's an odd fact, or not odd, but interesting fact, is that Alex Greenwald voices Ralph, and he's from Phantom Planet. That's a small little side note trivia. So it starts off where they're all getting ready for Halloween. They're all in their different costumes, and they're all excited to go trick-or-treating with Pip and go see him. But when they get to his house, they see that he's being taken away in an ambulance with his parents, and it turns out that he is going to be treated for appendicitis. But then they, a little bit later on, they notice that they see his ghost. They don't know it's his ghost at the, at the time. So they think that he's okay and he's out of the hospital. And they go, they chase him and they end up at this house that belongs to Mr. Moundtrout, <laughs> who is the zaniest character. He's voiced by Leonard Nimoy, who plays Spock on Star Trek. I can't put into words how much I love this character. He is eerie and scary, but he's so funny. He made me laugh all the time. And he's so ridiculous, ridiculously lovable and zany. Yeah. He he really does like toe that line between being a little intimidating, but also clearly safe. And mm -hmm. the voice Nimoy does is incredible. Oh, oh, he, yeah, he nailed it. And so in Mr. Mound Shroud's yard is a Halloween tree. And this Halloween tree is filled with, pumpkins and each pumpkin has a different face representing you know different people and i love the animation it's it's old obviously it's been 1993 but the halloween tree was so so cool and such an interesting concept 
They watch Pip as he steals his pumpkin face. That's a pumpkin that resembles his own face from the tree. And he ends up disappearing. So Mr. Moundtrout reluctantly agrees to help them find him again. But in the process of going on to find Pip, they time travel and go around the world with Mr. Moundtrout and learn about different Halloween traditions, which was really cool. And that's what drew me to this film. Cause like, okay, I'm interested to see how that they look at different traditions around the world. Cause we already did a, a episode about different hall, sorry, different Christmas traditions around the world. So I was like, okay, that'd be interesting to see how they approach that. And that was really neat. They go to Egypt, Stonehenge, Paris, and then they end in Mexico with a day of the dead festival. Oh, it reminded me of our Halloween episode, even where we talked about different, you know, the history of it. Cause it, yeah. it really goes over like basically a lot of the meaning behind what we do on Halloween. Yeah, and so that was the educational aspect of it. And the reason why I guess Mr. Moundtrout wanted to do that in, par- in part was because he asked them, do you know what your ho- costumes represent? One of them was a witch, one of them was a mummy, for instance. So he wanted them to understand where where the origins of those costumes that they were wearing came from, which was neat. So I don't want to give away the ending, where I guess I could say spoiler, spoiler alert, does that work? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler, because I know we got called out for it before. So I don't want to step on any toes for those who are gearing up to watch the Halloween tree. Uh, so in, in the end, they try and save Pip. But Mr. Moundtrout tells him that tells the group that it's too late. So in exchange, they offer Mr. Moundtrout a year off of their lives. So they basically give him a, a, a year of you know, of their life to him. And uh, it really comes together that Mr. Moundtrout is a personification of death. And then it makes sense because all throughout the special, he's saying Pip is, you know, he can't miss the appointment with me. He can't miss the appointment. So I don't know if I took it differently, but oh, I, yeah, assume, no, that's ex- I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so that, you know, Pip was perhaps on, he on the verge of death or he had had died. And so that Halloween tree is obviously of souls and Mr. Moundtrout wants to collect those souls. So when Pip stole the pumpkin, he was basically running off with his soul. And so Mr. Moundtrout is not going to give up that soul very easily. And of course his friends make the ultimate sacrifice, by giving off, giving up their lives. And I think once again, that speaks to how this is more of an elevated special for children, because not only is the writing not, watered down, dumbed down, but also the concept. So it is, it's very fun and silly and light, but then at the end, I mean, these kids are giving up a year of their life. <laughs> so it took on a different tone and I like the variations in tone. what do you think of it? I loved it for all the reasons you described. I think this is sadly the kind of show that's not made for children anymore. It is mm-hmm. dark. It is a little, I think it would scare me as a kid a little bit. Oh, for sure. But Kids will learn a lot from it. It's educational. They'll learn about all sorts of different traditions around death all around the world. The plot is extremely engaging and meaningful. These, As you said, these kids give up their life to save their friend. The stakes, there are stakes in this animated TV special for, about Halloween. It's, it's a masterpiece. I really love this special. And I'm going to make it a part of my Halloween tradition every year going forward. And I'm a little, I'm sad that this is the first year I've watched it. It's always been on my radar um, because I do love Ray Bradbury's world around Halloween. So he calls it the undiscovered country, which is, I think, like where there's a whole bunch of Bradbury stories around 
this kind of like land where all the monsters live. And he even almost has like this monsters like family of like vampires and werewolves <laughs> that live in this undiscovered country. He has almost like an extended Halloween universe. He is obsessed with Halloween and has a lot of short stories. If you, the one collection of them that I love is, is called the October country. So if you want to kind of like do more of a deep dive into his work around Halloween, check that out. There are some very spooky stories in there. And this is more of like the kids version of that. And I just thought it was awesome. I, I really loved the special and thank you, Jillian, for, for choosing it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun watching it as well. And I think I'll do the same. I'll incorporate it into my my lineup. And I, I really want to emphasize too, just the animation itself is so comforting. It's a it's hand-drawn animation. It, it clearly took a lot of love and effort to make. And, you know, it, it was clear they had some budget constraints where they have a lot of like still images they kind of zoom in and out of. But those are beautiful paintings. And you do want to take those in when they're on the screen. And it is a really pretty... Um, animated movie as well. It, it harkens back to an animation style you do not see anymore. Yeah, and I, I can't, once again, can't emphasize enough how funny Mr. Mountrout is. He's just the zaniest, zaniest character. The zaniest personification of death ever. <laughs> yes. So that was that was my one of my specials. And then I don't know if you want to go do one of yours and then we'll go back to my sure. other one. For my part, um, I picked two TV specials. I go back to these Halloween episodes every year to revisit them because I love them so much. And the first one is from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the Melissa Joan Hart 90s series about Sabrina Spellman, the witch who lives with her aunts. And it's just trying to balance that with being a teenager. And, it's you know, that's a sitcom. And so it's very light. And it was actually hard to pick one because Sabrina has a Halloween episode for every season. For me, the... Halloween episodes of TV that make me feel the coziest are the ones that involve Halloween parties. I think it's just the, the group of people coming together. It just seems really fun and lighthearted. And so I, w I gravitated in terms of the one I want to discuss is titled A River of Candy Corn Runs Through It, which is a crazy title. A wonderful title. Um, which is the season two Halloween episode from 1997. And in this, you know, it's just a 20 minute episode. In order to upstage the popular girls Halloween party, Sabrina's best friend invites the whole school to Sabrina's for a rager. So, but that's a terrible idea because she's a witch and her house is enchanted. There's all sorts of wacky stuff is going to happen. And it does the furniture talks and gets talking termites. The ants brew an endless river of candy corn and Halloween carolers from the other realm crash the party. Um, it's over the top. I will confess. It's not that funny. <laughs> like you're not going to like laugh out loud watching this, but it's so sweet and cozy and I love that it has that 90s thing where there's always some band at a party afterwards. They're trying to do cross promotion where like, and in this, and in this case, yeah. it was the, the 10,000 Maniacs close out the party by performing Rainy Day, which is not a song anyone remembers, uh, live in Sabrina's living room. And uh, my favorite moment from the, from the episode is when the candy corn bursts through the kitchen door <laughs> and everyone just goes crazy trying to scoop it up and in, in like, like it's cash. Yeah. And they're stepping in it and still eating it. It's gross. <laughs> I guess when candy corn peaked, because now <laughs> it would not get that same attention because people hate on candy corn now. You can't give that stuff away, but back in the day, people would eat it if, it, if someone stepped on it. Yep. Those were the days. Anyway. The days. <laughs> I think this is a great, a great pick. It's like you said, it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's not necessarily about the Halloween itself, but just the revelry around it, which is really nice. 
Yeah, and I just like I like the ones where Sabrina is struggling with just being a teenager. I think that's really cute. Like her relationship with her best friend who's like trying to be popular, but she is the only one who shows up to the party in a ridiculous uh uh chicken costume. And I, I just also love that it's a it's a Halloween party full of teenagers who are too cool to dress up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they got that detail right. And I just wanna before we move on, I do want to say there is a cozy mystery esque Halloween episode of Sabrina based on Murder on the Orient Express called Murder on the Halloween Express from season eight. <laughs> so if you do want to have that crossover of Halloween and mystery, check out the uh, season six uh, episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, Murder on the Halloween Express. Awesome pick. I, I thought it was really fun. So Jillian, what was your other pick for TV special? This is one of those uh, epi- Halloween episodes that's not so into the holiday itself but just is using it as a a plot device so i chose frazier halloween episode aired in 1997 and it follows a halloween benefit that niles throws at his home and guests are supposed to be dressed up as their favorite literary characters and it's one of my favorite frazier episodes of all time because it's it's encapsulates uh, miscommunication humor and it's made better by the costumes. And the reason why I chose it as honestly, not only just for the miscommunication humor, but because of the costume design and it won or sorry, nominated for an Emmy and outstanding costume design. The plot centers on whether Roz is pregnant and as she waits to learn her results, a misunderstanding leads Niles to believe that Frazier is a father and that Frazier is playing to shirk off his responsibilities. And so Niles is fuming uh, and it's made more funny by the fact that he's in his uh, Cyrano de Bergerac costume. And Frazier is uh, from the Canterbury Tales, the narrator, Jeffrey Schoser. And it's awesome because the costumes play into their personalities. So for Niles' costume... His character is very indicative of his personality because he doesn't think that he's good enough to be loved by Daphne, who I believe is playing the wife of Bath. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is perfect for him because Cyrano has his, you know, big nose and he doesn't think he's attractive enough. Um, So that's perfect. And then uh, obviously for Frasier, you know, being the narrator of Canterbury Tales, it's very true for for him because he's the radio host. So I thought all that thought going into it, I don't really see a lot of Halloween specials that are so focused on the costumes. And this is all about the costumes, which was so fun. The costumes were really great. And of course I thought the, the episode was hilarious, especially with that showdown between Frasier and Niles at the end. So that's why it worked for me. This is a really funny episode and it is a to be continued episode, <laughs> yes. but you can just enjoy it by itself. I just want to put it out there that, Frasier's Jeffrey Chaucer costume looks so cozy. It is basically a muumuu. <laughs> That's a robe. <laughs> yes. and, and like a sleeping cap style hat. And uh, I, if, if I saw him at a party, I would assume he's being Scrooge. Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah. His little hat. <laughs> it's also appropriate because he is the type of character who would wear a costume that no one would get. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? No one would look at him and be like, oh, you're Jeffrey Chaucer. Like you, he has to explain it. 
and of course he does because no one is like ready to like to say, identify Jeffrey Chaucer. Yeah, and and Martin is Sherlock Holmes, which is perfect because he's a detective or he was a retired police officer. Officer, and then uh, Roz is O from the story of O, so like being super sexualized. So they all everything really plays into their characters on the show and their costumes. And uh, Frasier is just also a show that feels like fall. And it's hard to yeah. put that into words, but I, there's so many shows that's just so that feel just like they're made for fall, like Gilmore girls or some other, you know, shows like that. And Frasier is one of those. So I think that also is why I picked it. Yeah, no, I, I, I loved watching it. Thanks for the recommendation again. I mean, I will return to this episode every year. So it's, it's a really solid choice. Thank you. My final choice for fall TV is also a Halloween episode uh, for Roseanne, the original series, Roseanne. Roseanne Halloween episodes are fantastic. They do run the gamut of being very lighthearted to some of them are kind of serious and weird. There's like a really trippy one in the, in the final season. I don't know how I feel about so much. I think I just want to do a little shout out for the very first of this tradition of Roseanne doing extremely focused well done halloween episodes it's season two's boo and short and sweet and and it's just roseanne and dan trying to do a prank off like who can scare the other person more the thing i love the most about that original run of roseanne was just how much it captured life in lower middle class america you still do not see, like, outside of even, like, shameless, I guess, any kind, any kind of depiction of this sort of lifestyle. <laughs> Their <laughs> house is just so relatable. It reminded me of all of my aunts and uncles' homes. And the way they decorate it for Halloween and their costume choices, to me, because it is such a solidly Midwestern show and, and I'm from the Midwest, I feel like it just gets it. You know, it's not the most, you know, subtle or... Um, sweet Halloween episode. It's it's pretty, you know, rough and tumble. But I just find the joy and seriousness with which they take Halloween and the love they have for that holiday makes it one of the best TV specials for Halloween because they just have a respect for it and they just capture an element of it. The the Let's try to scare the pants off our family members or neighbors that you don't see in other TV shows. So... Just just a quick little recommendation for the Roseanne Halloween episodes. Namely, I think the best one is Boo, where Dan and Roseanne kick off their prank rivalry. I think you described it beautifully and why it works. And I can understand why it's especially cozy to you, you know, growing up in the the Midwest and it encapsulates that that time and space for you. So, I mean, I, I agree. I think that it's rare that you see a Halloween episode not just focus on the the fun and festiveness of it. And of course, pranking each other, it, it, it is fun. But it's another side of Halloween that you don't get to see very often. And I think that that's a perfect choice to round out these other ones that don't hit on that note that Roseanne, that special did. I love the season for the repeat TV. And, you know, there are so many other things that I love to return to, like the the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes are another great choice. It's really actually hard to narrow down like the Halloween specials I love to go back to for fall. There's also even like, you know, you can always go autumnal with it and just pick like do it fall harvest style and go with like mm-hmm. movies set in the fall. Like when Harry met Sally is a great oh, yeah. uh, thing to watch in the fall. So, so, so gorgeous. We hope you um, 
have some good TV watching. That's how Tom Nolan gets you in the spirit. And, and let us know what your choices are for things you love to return to to get into the fall slash Halloween spirit. To come down from my high of excitement around getting to talk about Fall Harvest, <laughs> Hallmark's Fall Harvest, um, I think I needed some soothing sounds. So, Jillian, let's transition to our soothing sound segment where we'll share the cozy jams that are calming us this week. My soothing sound is a song called Video Game by Sufjan Stevens. Sufjan's no stranger to the soothing sound category. We've featured his work before. And this song is from his latest album called The Ascension. And just to give you a sense of what it's about, I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, you immediately get what it's about. It's just about basically like, I don't want to live in this world where everything's being assessed for likes and popularity. I just like want to exist not as a commodity. He actually has a quote about this song where he says... I wrote video game to be about you don't have to participate in these systems because these systems are selling and commodifying human beings. It's like you're reducing yourself to a transaction, and I think that's really dangerous. Sufjan Stevens is not a fan of social media. He's not on any of it except for Tumblr. <laughs> so um, you can get the sense. Like, that's really video games getting to the heart of, like, I just want to be my own person. I don't want to be competing for, you know, to be viral or something. And so I, I think that kind of like individualism and just really thinking about like what's actually mentally healthy for me is super cozy. So let's listen to Video Game by Sufjan Stevens. The song could be triggering if you are a video game designer. <laughs> People do yeah, want to play your video game. But I, I just really like the... I mean, anything with synths is going to c- catch my attention. It's just actually like a really... It's, it's sort of dancey in its own way, but it's actually mm-hmm. also very chill. So I just love the music. It's calming. And I, I think the message is very timely. Yeah, and Sufjan's voice is just incredibly soothing. He could be singing about death and destruction. I'd be like fall asleep to it. <laughs> he just has that love that that lullaby, very soothing, special and unique voice. And I think this song speaks to how he's been able to be so successful for years because he's been around for a yeah. long time and um just staying true to himself. So it's 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 a, po- a poignant pick, especially for this time period. Julian, what is your soothing sound? I picked Roll Back Your Clocks by Buck Meek and Buck Meek is in the band Big Thief. And so this is not from an album. He was just making music during the pandemic and wanted to make some soothing sounds. And so he said that the song is a reminder to trust our telepathic instincts and to value the connection with our loved ones as something that we have access to, even in solitude, regardless of proximity. He said it felt healing to create, and we hope they'll help bring some sense of peace to you. Well, let's listen to Roll Back Your Clocks by Buck Meek. Back your clocks from afternoon to morning when rain softly pouring on the roof. If the front door knocks, buddy, just ignore it. You can blame it on me. 
what a great choice for autumn since we'll be falling oh. back yeah in it, it, on november 1st yeah so it, it's funny how that the title kind of lines up for what's ahead and it, the song was released in july 2020 i mentioned that so it's just a very gentle song i think that's probably the best word to describe it it's just gentle and it's almost a fantasy because the message of the song is to just take things slow and to not worry about outside influences and take a moment to be still but that's the paradox what we're going through right now is that as much as we should be doing that it's things are times raging on so um it's just nice to listen to it's a very i think it's a perfect sunday song yeah absolutely i think this is a great choice it feels perfect for fall to wrap up, we are going to review a candle that actually, for the first time in a while, we are both smelling at the same time. That's so cool. And we have Kate Littleton to thank. She was extremely generous and sent us a box. It's like a, a subscription box to try called Introverts Retreat. And so essentially with the subscription box, you get a book to read. Um, and you can choose like your model. The one that we that she generously gifted to us was it includes a book it was a cozy mystery that was really cute um a a candle made by introverts retreat themselves and handmade soap um that's scented also also a really lovely bookmark was included yeah we were we're so spoiled uh it was such a treat to receive this box in the mail and all these goodies, the perfect cozy assortment of goodies. And what's especially wonderful is like you said, Matt, that we can smell the same candle for the first time. Thank you, Kate, for making this possible. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the candle we're sniffing together finally is called, I'd rather just stay in bed. Um, Part of the comfort candles line made by introverts retreat. And the scent is cotton and iris. And they boast that each candle is made with natural soy wax, made in the USA, sustainably sourced, and hand-poured by humans. They're very adamant, not by robots, um, (laughs) in Connecticut in their studio. It comes in a nine-ounce amber jar with a black lid uh, and label. So, Jillian, what are you thinking about I'd Rather Just Stay in Bed? It's funny because I didn't look at the title of the candle or the, sorry, the name of the candle. And I just sniffed it. And I, I thought to myself, oh, this smells like cozy dryer sheets. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's very, um, it's a linen based because of the cotton. So it, it, it is, it does smell like freshly laundered sheets. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I'm all for, it really does smell like you just changed your sheets, washed them and you're ready to slide into some clean sheets, which is the best feeling in the world. I wish you could bottle that experience of going into a clean, uh, freshly made bed. There's nothing better than that. Yeah. The, the scent opening it up is, a, is it's quite powerful. Like just yes. smelling it in the candle. I was like, Oh, is it, this might be really strong, but actually once you're burning it, it's diffuse more. And I really love it. I think it's a great marriage of the theme of like what the candle is trying to say and the scent itself. And I, it's a, it's kind of that perfect uh, alignment of theme and delivery of scent. So I love it. I'm, I, I give this a wick up. Thank you so much, Kate, for your, for sending this to us. Yeah. Wick up for me too. And I second that. Thank you so much. I, I I'm, I'm interested in trying out more of these candles from this company because they all have very cute, cozy introvert names. So check them out when you have a chance introverts retreat. So in addition to our shout out to Kate, we also want to thank Gretchen for alerting us to the Sanderson sisters wine. There's a, a, a new hocus pocus 
uh, line of wine. Um, my only regret about it is that they're whites, and I really feel like the, the Sanderson sisters are, drink red. <laughs> That's my only yeah, quibble. Yeah, for sure. I don't know where they were going with that one, who was the brains behind that, but it's a cute concept either way. Also, Andy talked to us about cottagecore, which is definitely something we're going to explore um, most likely on the show as well. It's a really interesting movement online, so check out like hashtag cottagecore. Thank you, Andy, for bringing that to our attention. And as always, thank you to Norma G for all your great recipe ideas. And thank you to everyone who left a five-star review on iTunes. We recently got a handful of new ones, and it's so appreciated. We always notice, and it, it helps us, and it means a lot. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to give us some love. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And we would read your wonderful review on the show if you write it. So if you're interested in having your words read on the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We will read that on the show. Again, we really appreciate the support. You know, and another way to support us is by joining our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash allthingscozy. And any way that you choose to support the show, whether that's leaving us a review so other people can find us, sharing our show on social media, or helping us out on Patreon directly with, you know, buying candles and finding other things to, to talk about on the show, it all helps. And we really appreciate you and your continued support. And of course... Thank you to everyone who participates in the Facebook group. If you haven't, join all, join, and you'll be around other cozy enthusiasts who also have great recommendations to share, plenty of cozy ideas, and my favorite part about it is all the kind words shared. It's such a nice collection of people, and we just love to see it grow, and every day we get new requests, so get in on that. Yeah, check it out. We're also on Instagram, at All Things Cozy Podcast. Um, as Jillian said, we have a Facebook page with the same handle. There's a really great cozy community developing and, and you should join us. That does it for our show this week. We'll be back in your ears in two more weeks with a very spooky Halloween episode <laughs> <laughs> that I'm super looking forward to doing. So come back in a couple of weeks, uh, put on your best Halloween costume. Until then, stay cozy. Okay.